This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Hey, Equity Mates, Bryson Wren here, just coming at you with a bonus episode from another podcast in our network, Comedian vs. Economist. That's right, Bryce. Love what Thomas and Adam from CVE are doing. And there were some really interesting segments in this one that we thought the Equity Mates audience would love, especially this first one on wage data. The RBA, hot button issue, however you feel about Philip Lowe and the RBA. They start with some more data that's come out recently and uh, what we can learn about how the RBA is thinking as a result. Yeah. They are incredibly funny. It is an awesome episode. And if you do enjoy it, make sure you go over and subscribe. They put out an episode each week that tackles four stories from the world of macroeconomics and finance. But my God, it is entertaining. Mm, mm. So uh, it's, it's a, great, uh, a great addition to your podcast listening. But without further ado, here is Thomas and Adam from Comedian vs. Economist. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher. I know people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. And maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you going? Doing very well, thank you. Thomas, hat update. Mm. Uh, we gave away the hat last week. Congratulations to Alan. Uh, he said it was Peter Costello at the start. We said no, pretty sure it's Paul Keating. Turns out it was Peter Costello. So, uh, Alan, a truly deserved winner 
uh, let's never do a competition again. <laughs> uh, instead, why don't you fill out the Equity Mates survey? Uh, instead of a hat, you could actually win really good prizes like $500 or tickets to FinFest, which is happening November 11th in Sydney. And before we get started with today's show, Thomas, I just want to give a shout out to my wife, Anna. Happy birthday, Anna. Uh, massive fan of the show. She's been listening since the very first episode. Um, Sorry, I meant to say she listened to the very first episode. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot since then. <laughs> uh, in fairness, with Christmas and family holidays and stuff, she's probably tired of hearing your voice, Thomas. So, uh, <laughs> massive show coming up. Coles and Woolworths results are out. What did we learn? Do we even still like groceries? We'll find out. Have you ever thought about how you think about your share trading? Well, thanks to IG, this week we'll be looking at the psychology of trading. And if it's not a Mrs. Max, take it back. If you can find her, seems the Mrs. has gone missing. But first, Thomas, it's been a whole week and I've barely had any data at all. Please, I don't care what it is. Just tell me you've got some data on something. <laughs> oh, come on now. No, I've got, I've got probably... One of the biggest piece of data in, oh, yes. or at least a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> now we got the we got the we got the wage price index. So mm. we'd been we'd been waiting on the wage price index. Um, it was hotly anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> it's all we've been talking about in my in my place. Uh, me, me and the boys down the pub. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You guys are all over it. Mm. Yeah. So so we we cared about this because we're we're looking for evidence of the wage price spiral. We're looking for inflation getting out of hand. Um, and that's showing up in the wages data. That's when it moves from you know when we can solidly say it's moved from transitory to permanent mm. is when it's showing up in the wage data. So we got the wage price index. And it fizzed. It was oh, no. nothing. Yeah, 0.8% in the quarter, much. So the annual rate stepped up a, a nudge to 3.3%, but markets had been expecting 3.5%. Mm. So it's the highest in a decade at 3.3%, but is just nothing really in the scheme of things. So, I mean, you remember that even 3.5% is consistent with an inflation rate of 2.5%. So if you add inflation to productivity, to you get 3.5%. Mm. 3.3 is, is kind of pointing to the lower end of the, inf- of the inflation target band. So there's just zero evidence of a wage price spiral getting out of hand here. Okay, so what does that mean for interest rates then? It's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! Don't look at our data. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, because because the the board came out. We got we got the board minutes from the RBA board from the last decision, and they know they noted that in you know hadn't seen inflation data yet, but their business liaison. So the RBA does a business liaison program where they go out and talk to actual businesses and say what's going on, how mm. how's activity, what what pressures are showing. And they reckon their liaison was pointing to wages growth above 5%. Mm. That's obviously not there. Like either the wage price index is broken or Mm. the sample of firms the RBA is talking to is misrepresentative or the firms aren't just telling the truth. Or the liaison has outsourced their role to chat GPT or something (laughs) and they're just off in the Bahamas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think that that is going to cause the RBA to go like, ooh, like the case for more aggressive rate hikes from here is mm. really kind of almost evaporated with this because it's like it came in well below what people are expecting. 
Yeah, I mean, the other, the other interesting thing is you've got the wage price index, a headline number. You also got wage price index including bonuses. So the headline excludes bonuses. Oh, yeah. um, but you get, a, you get a measure that includes bonuses. And typically firms will use bonuses and sign-on bonuses and that sort of thing when they're not sure about where the economy is going and they don't want to lock themselves into higher wages, but they say, okay, everyone gets a bonus this quarter because I don't want to lose any staff, but then we'll see what happens next quarter. Right, okay. So the wage price index, including bonuses, actually fell from 3.5, two, sorry, two, 3.5 down from 3.8. Mm. So that suggests that heat's coming out of the wages market. It's not, we're not accelerating, we're actually, we're actually past peak. Mm. So we, quarter by quarter, we got 1.1% in quarter three, that's in, you know, 0.8% in December quarter. So now it looks like September's the peak and we're on our way down. That's without any wages impulse into inflation at all. Right. It just didn't, didn't manifest this cycle it, it's now looking like. So my, I could be reading this wrong, but is this sort of pointing towards like recession type, a recession type situation if we start seeing wages staying really low but interest rates going through the roof, like it seems like a double whammy for people. Yeah, we try not to talk about people in economics. <laughs> just gets awkward. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's that's. that's oh, sorry, productivity units. <laughs> I start to worry about the future for our for us productivity units. Yeah, no, it's not a good news story for productivity units at all. It's mainly the smaller productivity units. Won't somebody think of the smaller productivity units? <laughs> What's the future for them? Well, no, that's right. So we've got, we've got now, so we've got a massive gap opened up between inflation and wages now. So core, core inflation is running just shy of 7%. Hmm. Um, wages much less than that. Real wages now of headline CPI are down 4.5%. So that's a big fall in, in people's purchasing power. Hmm. That's the biggest fall on record. Like that's the biggest fall in real wages ever. Wow. Yeah, so we're now on, on the RBA's forecast, which have a tendency to be overly optimistic when it comes to wages, like they're terrible at forecasting wages. <laughs> but on their forecast, we're going back to 2009 levels. So your real wages are going, you, you know, you're losing over a decade of real wages in terms mm. of purchasing power. So going back to 2009 levels. And we're not recovering even on the optimistic scenarios until 2031. It's terrible news. I was only, I was only earning 40,000 in 2009. I can't go back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, but that profile's worse than the 1990s recession. So you look at what happened to real wages then. So what do we need to do? Just stop the rate rises? Start slashing rates? Uh, I think... Sack I think productivity units? One, yeah, it, it should, should give the RBA pause to, you know, take a breath. Mm. You, you, you know, you should, whether it will, I don't know, but it, it should. I think we can definitely move away from talking about the wage price spiral. There's been a bit of a beat up, particularly in the conservative press, in the AFR as well, mm. around, the, you know, why we shouldn't be giving large minimum wage increases, why we, should, we shouldn't be letting workers get big, big gains because that's going to create a wage price spiral. There's just zero evidence for it and it's already in the past. And I think the, Matt Grundolf from the, um, he's a senior economist at the Australia Institute, he said this really well, to, to blame workers for current inflation while they are experiencing unprecedented real wage drops and companies post surging profits is economic gaslighting of the highest order. Mm. I think that's about right. So I think, I think we do, yeah, we just need to shift that conversation and stop hammering workers, I think, for inflation that's just not there. So last week we decided we should probably stop hammering poor people and this week we're going to stop hammering workers. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. CVE, championing poor people, <laughs> workers, and small productivity units. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, the results for Coles and Woolies are in. How did they do? Uh, they're doing well. They're doing well. Net profits up 11.5% for Coles, uh, Woolworths up 14%. Right. So, yeah, doing pretty well. Can they ever do badly? I mean, really? They're, they're selling staple things that we all need. Staples, yeah. I mean, are they, they, this is why you talk about consumer staples being a defensive play in your portfolio mm. is because it's pretty steady. I mean, you're not going to get big upside, I guess, from, from consumer staples. Mm. Like people don't get big income gains and then go and buy more <laughs> staples. <laughs> go and splurge on carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bonus this yeah. week. Yeah, beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Might get the premium carrots, not the odd bunch for me this week. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so yeah, they, they tend to do well in 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 environments like that, like mm. this, and that's what we're seeing. So, yep, s- strong results from both of those. Right. Oh, the, the interesting thing I think is just with inflation. So what what they're saying about inflation. So they're saying that both of them are saying that uh, grocery inflation is around 7%, running around 7%, maybe right. a touch higher. RBA reckons grocery inflation is a bit closer to 10 and is the highest since 1983. So groceries seem to be a bit of a hot point in the inflation story. Well, there's no potatoes around. I know that much. There's a potato shortage. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, interesting. I think it's a supply. There's, I heard it's a supply-demand mismatch basically just means there's not enough potatoes to go around. <laughs> it's probably some wanky economist that came up with that phrase. Why are there no potatoes? There's a shortage. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, but price of all, well, all I know is that the price of, of chips is through the roof. But there yeah, are some right. like fish and chip shops that are struggling. They can't get chips. Yeah, right, right. And then like big, I know we're getting slightly off topic here, but big fast food chains are uh, kind of coming under fire for hogging all the chips. <laughs> oh, no, right. Is mm. there potatoes in chips, is there? In, I thought. In what chips? Potato chips. Like, potato <laughs> chips. Well, McDonald's, like you kind of break them open, there's nothing inside. Oh, yeah, no, I think there's, well, there was potatoes at least at some point. Yeah, so Woolworth CEO Brad Banducci saying, while affordability of red meat has been challenging and there has been less availability of frozen potatoes, oh, yeah. as Adam said. See, <laughs> finger on the pulse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, inflation is coming down. He's saying that. Uh, Cole's incoming CEO, Leo Weckert, says, we are expecting pressures to remain, but we are expecting them to start to moderate. The pressures we think will continue to stay are in areas like dairy, energy and wages, but we would expect to see some moderation starting to come through in areas like freight, wheat and packaging. Fun fact about Leah Weckert, she's from Adelaide, I realised. Oh, uh, yeah. I read yeah. that the other day. Yeah. She's taking over as Cole's CEO. Adelaide girl done good. Yeah. Please I find it interesting that every article I read about Coles mentions that she's from Adelaide. Yeah. You know, I, don't produce many CEOs over there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just to prepare people for the incoming change that shops will no longer be open after 8 o'clock at night or <laughs> before 11 on Sundays. <laughs> she's going to put a stamp on the organisation. <laughs> time, to, time to bring the rest of the nation in line with, in line with Adelaide's shopping hours. Uh, uh, all right, so it'll be now, yeah, she said they'll be now selling tomatoes instead of tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, so the the other interesting thing is they're talking about they're talking about trade, looking at consumer behaviour. They're talking about trading in versus trading down. Mm. So trading down 
is when you buy the cheaper stuff. So Leo Weckert saying in areas like pasta and rice and oil, we have seen uh, where we have seen some home brand trade particularly strongly Mm. and shoppers trade out of the proprietary brands. Okay. Um, that's probably the key, key one we're seeing, but we're definitely seeing customers moving down. I would challenge anyone to detect the difference between cheap brand pa- packet pasta and <laughs> premium brand packet pasta. <laughs> I don't know. I'm maybe yeah. my palate's not refined enough, but yeah. it's the yeah. same same pasta, surely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah, but, and then Woolworths saying that they're, they're seeing some trading in, so saying customers are starting to trade in to eating at home. So rather than eating out um, and seen, they've seen a pronounced shift in recent weeks um, across all demographics. So it's it's taken a while to buy it, but they're now seeing people start to eat, eat at home and they pick up in the stuff that goes with eat at home. They eat at home, but they're eating cheaper at home. Well, they're they're doing both. I think the people who were eating at home are now eating cheaper and the people who were eating out are now eating at home. Eating at home. Or is my guest. (laughs) Maybe they're going over for dinner at the people who are already eating at home. (laughs) (laughs) Taking around some potatoes. Uh, um, So so it's just a recent thing. Why has it taken consumers so long to kind of adjust to this? I think this is the the interesting thing. They talk about interest rates having a lag, Hmm. rate hikes having a lag. I think this is the thing. It takes a while for consumers to really clock the shift and it's, I mean, I kind of see this in my house now, like, you know, our rate payments are going up, but it's sort of taking us a while to go like, actually, well, actually, hang on, this is, this is starting to hurt. We, we need to like make some budgeting decisions now. Mm. You know, we could have done that four or five months ago. We just didn't get around to it till, till just now. So. Is it maybe also that people, you know, we've talked in the past about after COVID and that war chest of savings that people have. I think mm. that creates a bit of a buffer to your point that you kind of, you don't notice as much or as quickly that you're mm. eroding that savings, you know, like you just kind yeah. of you're living week to week and, and spending, buying groceries and then one day you kind of go, hang on, groceries are costing like 20% more than they used to cost. Yeah, it could be right, could be right. But I think with that war chest story, I think I've seen some data recently that suggests that like 90% of it is held in like over 65s or something or, or 90% in the top 10% of Ah, uh, boomers have done it again, <laughs> living, in the, living in their four houses. Now they're hogging all the groceries. <laughs> <laughs> all right, why don't we take a break here? We'll grab a word from this week's sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas got some nice reviews coming in, actually. Shep17 left us a really great review. Uh, Who knew economics could be so entertaining? This podcast is a hilarious breath of fresh air with hosts who expertly explain complex concepts. Note hosts there, Thomas, as well, Uh, in a way that even an avocado toast-loving millennial like me can understand. Highly recommend for anyone who wants to get smart without falling asleep. Uh, We do love your reviews and ratings, so if you could do that while you're listening to the show, that would be uh, really, really very much appreciated. All right, Thomas, our sponsor this week is IG, and IG reckon our brains aren't naturally wired for trading, which if you've seen my Facebook marketplace buys and sells, I would beg to differ. Strong marketplace game. But when it comes to the stock market, 
Is that true? We're not really wired for trading? No, no. Humans are terrible at trading, actually. Left to, left to, left to their own devices. Yeah, like we're, oh. we're, we're just a hot mess of biases <laughs> and emotions and, yeah, random psychological influences. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so if, if you're not conscious of this, you're a terrible trader, you're a terrible investor. You really right. need to, yeah, you need to get on top Social of Social media should have given us a, some insight into this, that this was our, our natural state. Our human behaviour was full of irrational thoughts and biases. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I don't know why we. I don't know why we get off Facebook or Instagram, wherever you are, TikTok, and then go. Yeah, I reckon we're a bunch of sane people ready for trading. No, the, no. The, the thing is that people get off and go. Wow, other people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, so IG is onto this and, mm. and they're aware of this and they've built a hub called the Master Your Trading Mind Hub and they've pulled together a whole bunch of info just on this topic about getting on top of your biases and your, your psychology and, and right. yeah, and they've got heaps. I was looking through it today. There's heaps there. There's podcasts and eBooks and, yeah, massive amount of stuff there in the Master Your Trading Mind Hub. All right, cool. So you want to unpack a bit of this trading psychology how do you want? To, how do you want to do it? Yeah, so I want, do you I want, want me to, to lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you give me a trading idea, and I'll tell you why it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was reading a fascinating article today on um yeah the trading biases. So particular, like there's a whole bunch of cognitive biases, um, but they've identified a bunch that are particularly relevant for traders. Um, and they had a, yeah, so they gave us a bit of a list there and I wanted to look at that in the context of the greatest trade by the greatest investor ever. Right. Buffett. Yeah. All close, close. Charlie Munger. Munger. Ah, uh, mm. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's, what's, what's Charlie up to? Yeah. So we learned last week that Berkshire Hathaway is selling down their stake in BYD Motors. That's a, a Chinese automotive company specializing in EVs. They're the biggest EV seller in electric vehicle seller in China. I, th- I heard that they're bigger than Tesla. Oh, it, well, like, in, in, no, yeah, in they EV. are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I don't know about that. They, they sold 1.86 million cars last year. That was three times up on what, it, what they sold in 2021. So massive growth. Mm. And 1.86 million times the number of cyber trucks that Tesla sold. <laughs> <laughs> so one, so one. Yeah, they had one. That was a demo. Oh. Someone threw a rock through the window. <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, yeah. So BYD is not beset by these sort of problems. <laughs> Civil unrest in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Tesla sold one point three million. So they they did more, okay. but they, I think they do some hybrid vehicles too. But yeah. anyway, they're, they're crushing it mm. uh, over in China. Yeah, so Berkshire Hathaway bought in to BYD in 2008. They tipped in $230 million. Uh, that $230 million is now worth somewhere around 8 to $9 billion. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. I bought a pair of speakers for 50 bucks <laughs> and I sold them for 280 <laughs> I'm just, just saying we've all had wins along the way. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm surprised Fortune magazine doesn't reach out to you more often. Been, my, I don't know. My phone has been ready. I keep it close by. I'm ready for the call whenever it comes through. Yeah. It's yeah. me, Charlie, and, and uh, Warren. We're just, yeah, we're, we know what's yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that that that's. I think you'd call that a winning trade. Um, <laughs> yeah, six hundred six hundred percent just in the last ten years. Wow. So smashing it, but they are now taking some money off the table. So they they had their stake was around twenty percent, then it's now down to eleven, eleven right. to twelve percent. So, yeah, they're they're exiting that one. Yeah, Charlie Munger was saying that I've never helped do anything at Berkshire Hathaway that was as good as BYD. Right. So, wow. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so what can we learn then from this this mega trade? Well, I, just, I think it's I think it's interesting if you if you look at the the biases the trading biases that IG laid out in in one of their articles on the hub. Um, yeah, so saying like a, like a bias is a, a subconscious but systematic way of thinking that occurs when your brain takes a mental shortcut and it can lead you astray. And right. they, they give us a list of these. So the first one I thought was interesting is the availability bias. And this is the tendency to... <laughs> Speakers are available right now. <laughs> That's the guy wrote this weekend only. I'm like, what are you, a shop? <laughs> but it That's did right. get me It did get me moving. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm really worried now. I'm worried that we're going to go through all of these biases and I'm going to be like, check, check, check. check. Yeah. <laughs> possible mm, okay. yeah but no no that's not it's not what's available in the moment it's 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 that you select information based on what's available to you rather than what's relevant so you you have a filter on the information that's coming through to you based on what's easily accessible what's already in your field right okay yeah so, so can, can you give me an example well, I think this one is this trade itself is a good example because most investors, most uh, investment companies, are, you know, focus on the domestic market. We know most investors focus on the domestic market because that's where the information is mm. that they're getting. They're, right. Yep. They're, you know, they're reading the newspaper. They're getting information about BHP or whatever, um, and so you, you they become experts in those areas and discount other other flows of information right. so i think this is a good one where he's where they've gone to china 2008 still you know super early days in evs super early days even in in china but they've they've opened up the the net of information gathering and and come up with a gem so i think right. that's a good yep. example of ducking that availability bias sure the second bias is anchoring bias and this is the idea that what uh, the information that you get primed with first has an oversized impact on in your in, in your information matrix. Right. Yep. You, yeah. So, so like the the classic in the sales technique is how much would you expect to pay? Nine thousand dollars? Ten thousand dollars? Actually, it's a hundred dollars. Right. And you think, wow, a hundred dollars because you've just been primed. You've you got you anchored around ten thousand. Yeah. And yep. so now now it seems cheap. That was the that was the listing as well. He's like right. for this weekend only, not uh, one thousand dollars, not five hundred, fifty. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, goodness, this yeah. is an outrageous deal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I well, really shouldn't have bothered researching this manga <laughs> trade at all. Just... <laughs> could... No, no, no. Yeah. This is serious business. So, mm. what's what's the what are the other biases? Well, I think well, I think that one just just in terms of what how that trade's relevant. So mm. Tesla was founded in two thousand and three. That that was building hype. That would mm. have been attracting a lot of attention. 
that would have been anchoring everyone's expectations of what, what might be possible in the EV space. Mm. They've managed to sort of ignore all that and look at the, the fundamentals of, of BYD and, and pick a winner. Yeah, that's because as I have heard of BYD, but only like in the last six months maybe. Mm, mm. Like for me, if you, if you ask me what, who makes EVs, I'm like, well, Tesla and probably mm. some others. <laughs> Prob- <laughs> <Yeah>. Probably, <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a realist. I know mm. what's what in the world. Probably someone else has started making them as well. <laughs> <laughs> some some little copycat, um, yeah, yeah. Nissan. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was yeah. what, what was the other one, the Nikola, but that turned out to be a oh, that turned out to be a, a dud. So yeah, a corrupt dud. If just in mm. case being a dud wasn't bad enough, mm. um, yeah, right. So whereas whereas Munger was like, nah, nah, BYD's where it's at. No one, yeah. no one's looking. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah, right. Cool. The next, the next bias is confirmation, bi- confirmation bias. So that's mm-hmm. when you give greater weight to information that confirms your pre-existing beliefs or predictions. Yep. So you kind of discount stuff that disagrees with you and right. put weight on stuff that does. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a study that they cited uh, that showed that traders are more likely to be overconfident Um if they have stronger confirmation bias mm. and as a result trade more frequently, which yeah, and, you know, they inc- in, yeah incur those trading costs. So, yeah, so you've got to watch out for confirmation bias. You can also see it in their search, Google search history. They like use search terms like, why is Tesla so amazing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> why will Tesla be such a profitable EV car company? Yeah. Why are Tesla bears idiots? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. the, so the thing I love in, in this is that they Charlie Munger was saying that they they tried to talk Wang Chan Fu, who's the the CEO and mm. the driving force of of BYD. They they tried to coach him out of what he was doing, yeah. and he ignored them. And yeah. they went, "All right, you seem to know what you're doing. We'll let you go." Oh, it was a test. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, Munger's no stranger to psychology. He's gone with a bit of maybe we're going to cover it here later on. I'm not sure, but the old reverse psychology. Oh, whereas like, I think you should stop doing. No, I'm going to keep going. Yes, you passed. We're investing. <laughs> <laughs> we think you should make less money. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I'm just going to skip over the reverse psychology bias <laughs> here. Just go, to go straight to the loss aversion bias. Um, right, what's loss aversion? Yeah, well, this is where the fear of, of a loss is much greater than the incentive of a gain. Um, and we tend, to, we tend to be much more afraid of losing money than we are motivated by making right. money. Yeah. I think um, you see that in the stock market a lot. People... people much more inclined to sell, like panic sell. You hear about people panic selling in the stock market mm, a lot. Mm. You know, they buy maybe, and it, you know, I guess without a solid plan behind them, perhaps to, to mm. know what their long term, you know, and and equity mates do a good job of talking about this stuff about having your investment horizons and all this sort of stuff. But mm, yeah, you mm. do hear a lot of panic selling. So that's what that is, is it? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, there's a, they cited a study by Odeon looked at a bunch of trading accounts and, and found that individuals tend to hold on to losing positions for too long and waiting for them to turn around and they close out winning trades much too early. Right. Um, yeah, so 
there's IG analyst Chris Bocamp says a fear of losing money often leads to closing out winning trades too early. Stats show that the big winners make up for lots of make up for lots of small losses, but that ending winning trades too soon eliminates the possibility of big wins. Mm. That I do that. worry that Charlie Munger may be getting out. Like he's about to make some serious money on BYD, he's, <laughs> and he's going to get out and only have made eight and a half billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kicking himself. He'd be furious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they they held that trade for 15 years. Right. Um, BYD has come off, like with the the tech crash, has come off about 20%, 20, 30% in the past, you know, six months. So Mm. I think they're saying, yep, that's how we're out. We're we're picking our moment. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, for those who are ambitious, ready to put in the work and improve their trading, it's time to step up from their entry-level platform to IG. IG is where traders are made. Search Master Your Trading Mind or head to the Master Your Trading Mind hub on IG.com to find out more. This segment was sponsored by IG Australia. Trading involves risk to your capital. Issued by IG Australia, Pity Limited, AFSL 515106. All right, finally on the show, Thomas, you sent me a link to the administrator's report on Mrs. Max. Uh, What's going on there? Are they bankrupt? Yeah, yeah, they're bankrupt. Yeah, Since when? Since November. November they went into administration. What? Mrs. Yeah. Max. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is, this is a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's happened to them? Uh, well, they just went bust, I think. Right. I mean, they had, they had some challenges. Hmm. So Grant Thornton is the liquidators. They're, hmm. yeah, they're, they're going through the, the ruins of the company, the carcass, oh. to sort of pull out and try and understand what happened. But a few things are blow out in the cost of construction of a bakery in Western Australia. Hmm. Eight, it was a $23 million project. There was $8 million over budget. Ooh. But I think, I think that was largely about COVID travel restrictions messing with that. Because they've been around for they've been around for ages. Yeah, yeah. Nine, well, it's a 19, established 1954 by Ken wow. McGregor. Ken McGregor. Yeah. Used to play for the Crows too. Um, Did he? <laughs> I'm pretty certain it was a different Ken McGregor. In fact, there was uh-huh. a Ken McGregor who was a champion tennis player as well. Ken McGregor's all over the shop. Might have been the tennis player. May have been the same guy. Um, oh, uh, yeah. In any case, pretty shrewd business operator. He yeah. Avoided, yeah, he avoided paying taxes by putting the company's white in his wife's name, Mrs. McGregor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smart. Uh, yeah. Very clever. Uh, well, this is the thing. Like, I like in the in the liquidators' report, and mm. I don't think they've done anything wrong here, but saying that they had a whole bunch of assets hmm. and then they sold it, the majority of the business, to Pieface oh, yeah. in October for $24.2 million hmm. and then went to their creditors and said, we've got no assets. <laughs> and they're like, what happened to the assets? It's like, we sold them. Don't know. <laughs> Not sure. They were here somewhere and they're gone. I don't know where they went. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, we're bankrupt. Uh, she seemed yeah. like such a nice lady, Mrs. Mack. That's the picture. You just wouldn't, yeah, you just wouldn't pick it, would you? Nah. Looking at her, <laughs> I just imagine like having to take something to the CEO. You'd have to get like a horse and cart or something to a nearby cottage to go and visit <laughs> Mrs. Mack. She's just sitting there <laughs> in a rocking chair with a fire with a little nana rug. <laughs> Excuse me, Mrs. Looks like profits are down. <laughs> She's just like, oh, never mind, dear. That's never fine. Mind. We'll be okay. <laughs> Turns out, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
No, yeah, right. Yeah. So they're yeah. right. They've been they've been bankrupt for a while then. Yeah, yeah. And no one yeah. even noticed. I didn't notice. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, I think I think because they sold the brand on, so I think they're still. You know, Mrs. Max Pies are still out there in the market, mm. but they're just they're owned by Pie Face now. Rather, the Mrs. Max, the company, ah. the shell company, has is toast. This is what the the liquidator Grant Thornton was saying was that they were possibly trading insolvent for six months before they wound up without anyone noticing. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. They sold awful as as <laughs> meat for thirty years before anyone noticed. <laughs> No, Again, you wouldn't pick it to look at it, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I have no foundation for that claim. Oh, right. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Let's take that one back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows what's in a pie, really? Like, come yeah. on. We're all. Just, I think as Australians, we're all very accepting of just the contents of a pie, just being a pie. Yeah, as long as it's tasty. I think it was there. I think it was actually their slogan, though, that that really hit them the hardest because they, they went for a long time with if it's not a Mrs. Max, take it back. Which I think was one of the best slogans in the game. Like I think that was, that was oh, every time I saw that, I mm. went, that's, that's a good slogan. Yeah, but it really, they really hit tough times when like the Australian Food and Safety Commission came in with laws that said you can't return a pie for simply not being a Mrs. Max. <laughs> 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 we were talking about interest rates last week on the show and talking about interest rates as the lever that uh, the RBA uses to control inflation and and whatever. Um, And we did have a discussion about uh, alternatives to interest rates and what that might look like. And we had a couple of interesting um, comments and emails during the week. So David left us a comment on our Facebook page at CVE Podcast. He said, how about a new law to slow the economy and benefit poorer people to make employers raise super contributions during high inflation periods? So you take money out of the economy, but don't hand it to the banks and let the powers of compounding give greater benefit to the employees. So that's a good idea, isn't it? Just raise everyone's uh, super contributions. Yeah, potentially. I guess there's two ways to do it. One is you either take it out of the take-home pay, so mm. workers are paying for it, or you increase what employers are paying. And so employers are paying for it. Um, both of those would um, slow the slow economic activity or take money out of the economy. Um, so yeah, you're forcing savings. So that, yeah, mm. that potentially does that job. I, yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder about like, you know, the bulk of the majority of the Australian workforce is employed in small and small to medium business. So whether that, you know, in a recession or something, or in tough economic times, if that might create a bit of bit of mm. struggle for for smaller businesses. Because is that is that the goal? Like to take money out of the economy? Like yeah. ultimately, like to. I yeah, noticed you yeah. brought wind chimes to the show this week too, Donald. That's a nice addition. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was. Yeah. We were recording in the daytime, so there was no frogs or, or yeah. nature, no, no nocturnal animals creeping around. So you've replaced them with wind chimes. That's lovely. Yeah. No, it just helps the frogs <laughs> sleep. Like, <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, but no, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take money out of the economy. Stop it. Stop it going around. So wherever you can create a leakage from the system and mm. suck money out. So. Yeah, super does that by, you know, sucking it out and sticking it in savings accounts for a while. That's uh, potentially good. Mm. But, yeah, partially does the job. 
Yeah, so we had another one from Tome uh, who sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com. He said, after listening to your latest podcast, I believe the best way to control inflation would be to let central banks control the GST and then goes on to say a bit more about why that would be a good thing. Thomas, can we let central banks control the GST? Yeah, in theory that could that could work. I mean, oof, yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought too hard about it. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, any any, I mean, any tax, you can increase any tax. But again... You know, the GST disproportionately affects poorer people because poorer people consume more of their income than than wealthy people. Mm. So you're taxing more of their income than you are taxing. And that was the big criticism when when the GST was brought in is it tends to be regressive because the poorer you are, the higher your marginal propensity to consume. Mm. So that doesn't sort of, I don't know, I don't, I'm, I'd be a bit sceptical about yeah. that. Yeah, saying this would directly impact the people to slow down spending. I believe GST is a much better form of tax revenue than income tax. Why not remove all income tax for individuals and companies but have a high GST rate of 30 to 40%? This would remove tax avoidance and individuals have more control over how they spend their money. I don't know that I like his example. For example, Adam can choose to spend his money on only the items he needs like food and utility while saving the rest compared to Thomas who is better off and can choose to spend his money on more lucrative items such as entertainment, going out, etc. I think there's a fairly loaded, <laughs> it's a fairly loaded example there of what, of what Tom thinks about our financial standing stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> For example, Adam who's a bum, can't afford anything. It'd be better off. You can buy more cigarettes. But then there was there was another one which I've lost the email now. Uh, so, Ryan, super... so Ryan, oh, Ryan. Uh, Ryan sent us an email as well. Um, uh, interested to get Thomas' thoughts. Sorry, Adam. Keep... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What? You're a bum. <laughs> he said, sorry, Adam, keep making the jokes. Um On a recent article I read from Gareth Hutchins titled, Is There a Better Way to Kill Inflation Than Raising Interest Rates? Basically, cites a couple of people, including John Maynard Keynes. Keynes? Keynes. Whatever. I'm not very well read. (laughs) (laughs) Who offer old terms where a portion of an individual's pay is requisitioned to be returned later. Ah, okay. So, so basically, we just dock your pay, but but not really. We just yeah, hold but it you back. get it back. Mm. Yeah, you, you get it back later. What do you I like I like this idea of all the ones we've sort of. Mm. I hadn't heard of this one, so thanks thanks for the tip off. But mm. I like this idea. Like to mix to make the most sense, you just sort of stash it away. People have to adjust their spending, but they're not worse off in the long run. Mm. Like compared to interest rates, you know, it hits hits your your spending, but it. Mm. No one's really better. No one. There's no, no one's a net beneficiary from higher interest rates. It's just but it's but it's similar lose. to the uh, raising the super contributions one. But arguably, the super contributions one's better because if you just hold their payback, like if you take ten dollars out of my pay this week and give it to me in two thousand and twenty nine, it's going to be worth like three dollars. <laughs> like you haven't done me a favor at all. <laughs> just, oh yeah, right. Because yeah, I guess I would, just... I would presume it's invested somehow, hmm. or that it comes. Yeah, and so all that like it comes. Super. Yeah, well, but yeah, maybe you can. Maybe, maybe I think the idea with Keynes is, was originally that it comes back when you need to stimulate the economy. Mm. So you, you, that money comes back to you when it's when Keynes. the government needs to push it along. <laughs> Cowboy, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, 
let's leave it there. Mm. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to head over to equitymates.com. Uh, check out the community survey. We'd love to get your feedback on what you like about the show or uh, all the shows across the Equity Mates Media Network. Check out the details on FinFest happening again this year, November 11. Put that date in your diary. Feel free to send us an email as well. We're, we're getting tons through at the moment, which we love. Uh, love to get your, your thoughts on the show. And for this week, uh, that's all from us. It is bye for now. This episode included sponsorship by IG Australia. Trading involves risk to your capital. Issued by IG Australia, Pity Limited, AFSL 515106. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 54067.